Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host, Leo, and this week we are talking about the 1973 classic Westworld that went on to inspire many things, including the 2016 remake TV series from HBO. Now, my history with this series is fairly limited. I, I mostly knew about it through generally liking Michael Crichton's stuff. It's similar to, you know, Terminal Man and whatnot, in that it was something that Michael Crichton just did, and I admired that. I think it first kind of hit my radar properly when the TV series came out in 2016, and I, I fell in love with the TV series. The TV series was great, and I decided I wanted to watch the movie, because that's also part of my quest of experiencing like at least most of what Michael Crichton has done in, in his lifetime. And yeah, so I, I just watched it, like... Literally, I'm looking over at uh, my TV now, and the credits are right there. So, yeah, it, it, it's fun. So, let's go ahead and just kind of start with a general kind of plot synopsis. It's basically Jurassic Park with robots. It's the analogy everyone has been using since at least the 2016 uh, version came out. But it's fun to think about the fact that this came before Jurassic Park. Even Jurassic Park, the book. So Michael Crichton made this, and then he decided, but what about dinosaurs? <laughs> and there we go. He decided, let me reuse one of my things to tell a different, you know, cautionary tale, which Michael Crichton loved to do, was tell cautionary tales. And so that's what this is. It's basically, don't, don't trust robots. You know, it's the classic thing of the movies of the time. Just don't trust robots, because something will go wrong. It's one of those, you know, hubris situations where the scientists and whatnot feel like nothing can go wrong, and then, of course, something goes wrong. But yeah, so this movie follows two characters primarily, John and Paul. From the very little bit of background information that we are given, it seems that Paul is going through a divorce, so his friend John decided, hey, you know, let's take a vacation so that we can get your mind off of this divorce. And so he decided to take him somewhere he'd already been before, Westworld. And the movie actually opens with, like, this post-vacation interview guy. It, it, I guess it's similar to, like, vacation things from the time, where it's just like, Hey, you just came back from Barbados. How was it? So it's that kind of deal. Except for it's, where did you come from? Oh, I was just in Westworld. Oh, and what did you do? I was sheriff for two weeks. Well, hey, that's nice. And how about you? Oh, I was just in Roman world. You know, so it, it's a cute little intro, but it does kind of make the movie start a little bit slow, but it does ease you nicely into the world. It's like a pseudo-futuristic world in which there's hovercraft, and there's this company, Delos, that ha has made, like, near-perfect humanoid robots with some flaws that we'll get into a little bit later. But they have three parks. They have Westworld, Rome World, and uh, Medieval World. The difference between these worlds is interesting. So Westworld, which they also just call the Western World a lot of the time, is like a small town with surrounding bluffs. While Rome World is like a small Roman city. And then Medieval World is just a castle. It seems that's all it is, it's just a castle. And the sets that we see, because obviously this movie had a bit of a modest budget, uh, the sets that we see are fairly limited. So there's like a Roman pool, 
that's the main Roman set that we see when we get around that area. And then there's a there's a medieval dining hall, and that's kind of the most that we see of the castle. <laughs> but Westworld, since that's you know the place that we're following most of the time, is like a decently fleshed out area. We follow John and Paul as they just kind of are easing into it. At least uh, Paul's easing into it. John, since he's already been there, he he already knows what's going on. He's he's fine. But Paul, he's apprehensive. He's he he keeps asking John all these questions like, how much does the gun weigh? Uh, is it better to do the string version or the non-string version? Like, you know, just trying to get things. And he's like super excited. He's like a a kid getting ready to go to Disneyland kind of thing. He's like super excited about it. But he's still kind of, he has trouble fitting into the to the scenario until later in the film. He goes in, they get dressed up and get ready, and then once they're dropped off from the stagecoach, they go to a bar. Well, first they go to their hotel to drop off their stuff. And this is where the kind of main flaw of these robots is introduced. The only way that you can tell that they're a robot, and it doesn't really come up all that often, but it's their hands. Like AI, they hadn't perfected the hands yet. And the, the way it is, it, it kind of looks like the, where their joints are, there's like, a, like an extra ridge of skin on, on their palms. And I, I don't know why that would be. I, I guess it's maybe like they couldn't quite get the skin to, to hang over correctly, so it pinches the opposite direction. That might be the issue uh, with, with the hands and why they have those weird ridges. But that, that's kind of the, the main flaw in how you identify that someone is probably a robot. The other way that you can technically identify whether or not they're a robot is if they can be shot. Because in the guns, there's supposed to be a sensor that senses heat. It can't hit anything that produces heat, so like humans and whatnot, it, it won't do any damage to. But since the machines or the robots don't produce heat, they get shot. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> so they, they just kind of hang out and start trying to figure things out. They go to a saloon where john orders some whiskey and paul orders like this complicated drink and he's then john's just like paul, just give him whiskey <laughs> just give paul whiskey um because it's supposed to be authentic you know the, the experience is supposed to be very authentic you know from the sleeping quarters to the general life it's supposed to be fairly authentic so then the man in black or as he's actually called in the film uh, the gunslinger comes in and bumps Paul, who make, causing him to spill his drink on himself, and then just starts insulting him every so often, just to try to egg him on. And John, you know, tells Paul, you know, kill him, shoot him. So Paul, you know, slowly kind of eases into fighting back and does indeed shoot the gunslinger until he's dead, in which the gunslinger's dragged off. Then, yeah, then that's kind of when it's introduced that. You, know, you can't shoot other guests. Interspersed between these scenes of Paul and John are scenes from some of the other worlds, primarily the medieval world, following this one older gentleman. It also follows the engineers behind the scenes and what they're dealing with. The engineer scenes kind of don't have much going on, save for when it's following, I guess, the head engineer, who, when they're going through the repair sequence at night, is noticing that a lot of the robots are starting to develop more and more core issues, which is a bad thing, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, so the main issue kicks off after John and Paul kick off with a daring escape. Because the gunslinger, 
corners John in his bedroom, and Paul comes in and rescues him, shooting the gunslinger through a window. But for some reason, Paul gets arrested, is sitting in jail. So John devises an escape plan, which I'm assuming, I guess, involves dynamite since Paul ends up blowing a hole through the side of his cell. And they escape on horseback, and they go off into uh, the the nearby bluffs to, you know, let things cool down. One of the other guests ends up becoming Sheriff, one that we've been kind of following around for a bit uh, every so often. John and Paul are hanging out in the bluffs, just relaxing, when a snake uh, sneaks up on them and starts rattling. They try to shoot it and miss horribly, and the snake bites John. It actually hurts him. It, it's supposed to miss when it when it attacks, but in this case it actually attacked properly. And they couldn't find any problem wrong with it. The engineers have been, at least the head engineer, kind of describes the issue as a infection amongst the robots that began in the Roman world and the medieval world and kind of spread around until it kind of started also infecting the robots in the West world. But things, for now, are kind of chill. The medieval guy, the guy hanging out in the medieval world, he is trying to court the queen and has been challenged to a duel by the Black Knight and is told of his weakness. And, you know, so the engineers schedule that for tomorrow. And in the morning, when he goes to go to breakfast while prepping for the fight with the Black Knight, he gets confronted by said Black Knight. And the engineers are watching and keeping an eye on things, making sure it's okay. But when the Black Knight attacks, it's, it's a long, drawn-out sword fight in which this guy ends up getting backed up more and more. He gets disarmed, and then he gets a cut on his arm, and the engineers try to stop it immediately, but it's not working. And the man gets stabbed and dies. Then we cut back to John and Paul waking up from the previous night's uh, bar fight that they got into and were having a grand old time. But with their hangovers, they stumble back to their hotel and are confronted by the gunslinger, who... Uh, John decides to take this time, you know, in his hangover state, and he gets shot and gets flung back. And when he, like, feels himself, he notices that he's, he's actually been properly shot. And then he gets shot again and killed. So Paul books it. And this is when pretty much the rest of the movie happens. It's, it's just kind of a long chase scene extended throughout the rest of the film. Uh, meanwhile, with the engineers, to try to curb the robot problem, they shut down the power, trying to, you know, stop the robots. But one issue they did not take into account was the fact that the doors to their room are managed by electronics. And also, side note to that, they're airtight for some reason. So they are in a fight against the clock, trying to open these doors, restore electricity, so that they don't suffocate and die. Um, spoiler alert, they die. They, they don't succeed. Uh, we find this out when Paul, who has been running from the gunslinger, he flees from the gunslinger on horseback and goes all the way into the, into the nearby bluffs, and he tries to, like, you know, hunker down and, like, get the jump on him but instead he just leaves his gun uh when the gunslinger who the previous night was actually upgraded 
to have infrared vision and really intense hearing for some reason. And so he's able to hear Paul breathing super deep and, you know, shoots at him from afar. Paul panics, leaves his gun, hops back on his horse, runs into a uh, one of the staff, one of the engineers uh, that was out, I guess one of the technicians that was out, I guess, with a flat tire trying to flee. Paul asks him, like, what do I do? Like, I'm getting chased down by a gunslinger. And he's like, there's nothing you can do. I mean, you can try acid for the eyes and, like, loud noise for the ears or something, but you're screwed. <laughs> and Paul's like, no. And he rides off. But the gunslinger is quite close behind him and kills the technician. Paul makes it into a river that ends up slowing down the gunslinger because the gunslinger has been following the hoof tracks and you can't really track hoofs very well in running water. So as he goes down this, it's more of a stream actually, but as he goes along this stream, he ends up in the Roman world where he finds a manhole, which funnily enough, he passed uh, f further back along the stream, but I guess he decided, eh. And decided to go for the one in, in Rome world. He goes in and you see the leftover carnage that has been left in the wake of the robot attacks. A lot of dead people. And the only other time that you actually see the carnage happening is through video screens. And you only see the Rome version. The medieval version, you see the sword fight and that's it. Everyone else is just gone for some reason. It When the finale starts happening, it's desolate. You don't see a whole lot of what's actually been happening or, or anything like that. So it's weird. It's just kind of a, we're in finale mode now. <laughs> Following along Paul, he goes down the manhole cover, goes through these hallways, and then he discovers the bodies of the engineers just there. So then he just kind of moves on, going into the kind of maintenance lab where they do like repairs and upgrades and you know fix the robots that have been shot or that are having uh, malfunctions and he finds some acid and when the gunslinger's approaching he's laying on a table pretending to be a robot uh badly i guess because the gunslinger like walks up next to him and then turns in which he then splashes the acid and then f flees then from there he just kind of goes a bit leisurely and goes into the medieval uh world where he notices that some of the robots are not moving anymore. And it's because some of the robots have a di have different battery levels. Some can only last about an hour off charge, while others can last up to 12. Which or which, we don't know. But we don't actually encounter really any other robots for most of the time. We, we only just come across the Black Knight and the Queen hanging out on their throne, but they're, you know, out of juice. But... Here, the gunslinger had, since his vision, his primary vision was damaged, he goes into infrared mode, and he's scanning around, and he, he see, he's able to follow the heat signature of Paul until he hangs out by some fire sconces, like a torch sconces, and he, he can't see him. And he's just kind of like looking around, kind of baffled, and he has like a... a look of wonder on his face for some reason but he's, he's like looking around and looking around then paul like goes huh which you know gets his attention but since paul doesn't continue the noise he's like mm, okay and keeps looking around at the fire and then paul when he's about to try to sneak away steps on like a shield or something causes a lot of noise and then uh the gunslinger attacks 
and Paul pulls a torch off of the, off the sconce and catches the gunslinger on fire. The gunslinger burns and burns, and Paul runs to a dungeon, notices a woman, you know, tied up in the dungeon, and he, he assumes that it's a, a normal woman, and he, he lets her down. And he's like, don't worry, I'll, I'll help you. He gets her some water, and she's like, no, no water, no water. And she's like, he's like, I'm just trying to help. And then he, like, forces the water onto her, and her face, like, sparks and pops, and smoke goes around her face. She was a robot. Which I think that this would have been a good time for him to, like, check her hands or something. You know, use the plot device that you established earlier to, like, help him actually identify that this person that he thinks isn't a robot is a robot. You know, that, that would have been nice, but oh well. But then, as he's staring at this robot that he thought was just a normal woman, he's ascending the stairs and he gets jump-scared by Crispy, Crispy Gunslinger, who then just, like, falls off the stairs. And then he gets up, and you think, oh, he's going to try to fight, but then he just turns around and he's missing his face. And then he falls on his back and just blows up. Movie over. <laughs> Paul sits down to contemplate the... The events of the film, and the movie's done. It's a it's a very interesting film, and I, I do enjoy it. But I will say that the 2016 re remake is a is a, it's better. This movie is full of cheesy horror like music that is kind of so bad that you notice it. You're you're forced to notice it. It's like sits you down and is like listen to this terrible music, and a lot of nothing is happening because a lot of the time it's just Paul running for like the last. 10 to 20 minutes he's just running first he's running in the desert then he's running in a in rome then he's running through empty hallways and then he's running through a medieval castle he's a running away <laughs> but yeah i definitely recommend it it's it's a fun thing especially since one this movie was written and directed by michael crichton before he did jurassic park and also it's a interesting thing to look back and see the origin of the hit hbo tv series so I, I do highly recommend it so some interesting bits there is a book adaptation of this film it was written a year later by michael crichton so it's, it the film came first and then it was written into a book but there is some extra legacy stuff so there is there was a sequel TV series that came out in the 80s. Oh my goodness. Sorry, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia and it's this movie set in 1983. So the the pseudo futuristic thing is literally just that it's it's set 10 years down the line. That's insane. I didn't know that. You're not really given a date really in the film. So eh uh, so yeah, so it had a sequel film that Michael Crichton didn't really have anything to do called Future World that is set two years after the original, which is a bit weird. It means that they were able to somehow like sweep it under the rug in two years and then they were like, okay, let's do it again. But this time, future. <laughs> Maybe the problem was that we were forcing robots to look into the past. Let's have them look into the future. Then it had a short-lived TV series, Beyond Westworld, which, funnily enough, I think you get at least the pilot. I think it's either the pilot or the full series, because I think... Let me see. 
Let's see, part of the features... Okay, you only get the pilot for Beyond Westworld on the Blu-ray version of Westworld. Because I, I do have the Blu-ray version of Westworld. Yay. I will say it is painfully boring, the pilot for Beyond Westworld. It's kind of what you see in Season 2 of Westworld, funnily enough, where it's people coming in and looking at the damage of what happened in Westworld. But, boy, it's boring. It came out in the 80s, and it ignores Future World. So it it's a direct sequel uh, that um, ignores Future World and is just focusing on Westworld and the carnage thereof. Then there was also a game. There was a game in 1996 called Westworld 2000. And oh my goodness, it's weird looking. <laughs> so, yeah, it came out in 1996. It's a first-person shooter that, according to this, was developed before Wolfenstein. But looking at the screenshots, one, everyone looks weird and, like, leathery. Especially, like, on the cover. It's fascinating to look at. It is very, very weird. It's one of those disasters that you look at and you can't look away. <laughs> it just looks weird and bad and funny. And I'm I'm going to look up a video of it at some point because it looks weird. But from the looks of it, you go through three worlds. It says three worlds, three assassins. What are you afraid of? And it looks like one of the worlds is normal Westworld. But one is like Samurai World or Japan World or whatever. It, it has a samurai. And then I'm guessing that... The other, the last one is is another future world version. It looks like it's like a robot thing. I mean, of course they're all robots, but this one looks more Tron robot than anything. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's weird. It's, it's weird to one know that there's a video game uh, that has Westworld, and two, it just looks because it also looks like it's like a point and click adventure kind of first person shooter. It's it's weird. It's one of those weird ones. Anywho, then of course there is the 2016 uh, kind of redo of it, where the first season focuses solely on Westworld, then the second season starts to like actually integrate different worlds, and then I don't know about the third or the fourth because I didn't watch them, I didn't have a chance to watch them yet, and uh, they were taken off HBO Max uh, <laughs> right after season four finished airing, which is annoying. Oh well. But I do say that it's probably the better version of Westworld. It does take some of the elements... Well, it takes a lot of the elements from the original one uh, and kind of enhances them while also taking a lot of... Like, going in different directions with it. Basically showing that, you know, it, the the problem with the robots is that they are... They're too good. Like, man made... The guy made the robots too good and... It was actually part of his intention to make them sentient, I think. I don't know. It, it, that's one of the downsides of, of newer Westworld is that it does lead a, lean a little heavily on the the mystery box thing where, like, oh, what does this symbol mean? But does it really mean that kind of thing? It, it's, it's weird. But overall, I think Westworld is a fabulous... Um, franchise overall i do think it's a very interesting film the original film 
I want to read the book version to see if there's any differences. See if it goes into depth on more things. And of course, I do want to check out the other stuff. Like, um, I might choke down the Beyond Westworld if I can. I'll see, I'm going to look into Westworld 2000 and Future World. I I want to watch it just to see what the hell it what they do. But other than that, yeah, I, I do highly recommend it. With that said, let us go ahead and get into the challenge update for this week. All right, so it is update time. But before we do that, I do want to do a quick aside because at the end of like the main part of the episode, I did talk about some extra Westworld stuff, and I looked into two of them. Uh, I looked into Future World, and I looked into Westworld 2000, the game. So Future World, uh, Yul Brenner actually you know joined and reappears, but for the most part, it is kind of just the same-ish movie. And Westworld 2000, I watched a video. Like, just some gameplay footage, and oh my god, does it look terrible. It is a mess. Like, someone threw it together, and they were like, yeah, this is fine. A guy spawning on the roof over there? Yeah, that's fine. These clunky-ass controls? Well, it's the 90s, so it's fine. The constantly looping, short a bit of music? Yeah, that's okay. No clear direction? Yeah, it all makes sense. <laughs> It's just, oh my goodness, so bad. I, I do recommend looking up some footage of it just to see how bad the Westworld video game is. And the name of the, sorry, the names of the worlds are Westworld, classic, Samurai World, and um, Orbit World. I, I'm guessing it's supposed to be like a, a space future situation, I guess. But yeah, so <laughs> that's just something I wanted to mention because let me pass on the, the weird knowledge of these, you know, extra bits of Westworld media on to you. Anywho, on to the main actual bit of the update. So I finished Mark of Athena, and I have started the House of Hades. Now, the House of Hades is the longest book, I think, of this challenge period. So it's going to be a little bit difficult as it pertains to that, and also some other things. But first, let's talk about Mark of Athena. So Mark of Athena, I said in the YouTube Shorts update that it's fine. It's a bit slow to start, picks up, and then has a pretty good, you know, ending. But it ends on a cliffhanger that a lot of people had to wait like a year to, you know, resolve. Which sucks. But overall, it's, it's fine. My issue is that it feels like it could theoretically have been two to three books because it's it's like non-stop action pretty much from the beginning to when they leave America then there's like not a whole lot that happens over the Atlantic and then once they enter the Mediterranean it's a lot of stuff again so it could have technically been split in half and you know separated out but yeah, it's just one of those things where, like, by the time you finish the book, you look back at what you've read, and you're like, oh yeah, that happened in this book. And a lot of times you tend to glaze over what happens in America, because the book is mostly about Annabeth following the Mark of Athena, and that doesn't happen until, like, the last fourth of the book. Yeah, it it's a bit rough uh, as it pertains to that. 
but yeah, the the best scene that happens over America is Percy and Annabeth accidentally falling asleep in the stables together, and then the fallout uh, that follows that. It's that that's probably the best part of the America bit. Otherwise, yeah, not a not a whole lot happens. Uh, Percy's a sad sack in in this in this book because uh, no one wants to talk to him, and he he just kind of generally feels like he's not doing what he should be. Jason. Uh, we don't hear... Do we hear much of how he feels? Well, we do. He talks with Percy. Uh, it, about how he feels like he's just been knocked out for most of the adventure. So he he's not very happy about that. But yeah, it's... It's fine. <laughs> I am getting sick and tired of the secrets, though. I mentioned it earlier. Like, uh, I think during Son of Neptune. How everyone has a secret. And I also mentioned how it was kind of something that was developing in in this book as well mark of athena and it it is it's something that goes through it's scenarios where if they just had a small conversation here or there they might have been able to figure it out faster like the solution for the leo hazel frank love triangle is just hazel pulling leo into a flashback that then leads into a slightly retconned flashback of Leo's grandfather. And that's how they're connected. That's how, you know, that's why he looks so similar to Sammy and whatnot. And it's just like, okay, you could have just written this as like a conversation, make it to where Leo actually does at least vaguely remember his great grandfather. Sorry. Like it, it could have been a little bit less complicated than, her now semi having control of her flashbacks just to pull Leo into it. it. It it's weird. And then then just so Piper has been seeing visions in her knife, and she has stated she she shares some of what she sees, but she saves one specific one um to herself for no real reason, and that is the vision of her Percy and Jason drowning in a well. She, she doesn't share it. For no reason, she, she doesn't share it. Until they are literally about to go into it. They're about to descend a staircase into this weird dark well of a place. And she's like, yeah, so I saw a vision of us, like, drowning. And they're like, oh, there shouldn't be water in there. Percy goes and checks it out. Yeah, there's no water. Come on down. It's like, yeah, but she saw it filling up. And it it's so weird. She waits until a, a moment where... No matter what, they have to forge ahead to tell them, like, oh, you know, I saw a vision of us drowning here. It's like, oh, yeah, I could have used that information sooner. Maybe we would have, you know, gone a different direction or something. I don't know. Then Percy's secret. Percy's secret is probably the only secret that is fine to stay secret. It's fine to, you know, keep it to himself. And that is because it's just a personal issue. He has developed a fear of drowning since... He almost drowned in Muskeg in Alaska. And Muskeg being a like liquid form of dirt that I guess forms in Alaska. It's like a bog. And he he went to step off the road and just sank straight into it and nearly died. And so since then he's developed this sudden fear of drowning. But yeah, so his is the only one that like makes sense. Annabeth's secret in this book is pretty much everything pertaining to to the mark of athena 
she keeps it to herself. She and, and she kind of has to because she can't like sh- she can't do like a little show and tell with her friends because her friends literally can't see it. Like the map, they can't see. Um, the symbols, they can't see. So she's she just can't um, show them. But she doesn't share her thoughts of what she might be facing or what they're after. Only the only person who kind of knows what she's probably after is Jason. Because even though he's not a perspective character in this book, he still also has a secret. He knows what she's after. They're at, she's after the Athena Parth- Parthenos, which is the big statue of Athena that once stood in the Parthenon in Athens. And the Romans stole it, and that's like part of the big issue that sparked the Roman-Greek rivalry, and it's the only thing that can solve the Roman-Greek rivalry. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things that, like, even he's not a perspective character, but he also has a secret. And it's literally something that would have helped sooner. The actual Mark of Athena test and whatnot, so the idea behind the Mark of Athena is that, like, a couple times every generation... A child of Athena is sent on a quest to follow the mark of Athena and retrieve the Athena Parthenos. And every single one failed. Now, there is some explanation behind this. Uh, supposedly the giant, the anti-Dionysus, has been assisting Arachne in killing the children of Athena and I guess making it to where they don't actually make it to the actual trials. But other than that, every other child of Athena fell at like the first or second hurdle of the challenge. Because <laughs> the challenge itself, you have to make it to the river Tiber in Rome. Talk to the uh, river god, the god of the river Tiber. And he literally just takes you directly to where the challenge is. You go down and follow the area for a bit and end up in a chamber in this chamber uh when you like go down into like this hole you get sealed in and pretty much harassed by some very sexist ghosts who tell you to choose your death if you survive then you get into the club and whatnot so you're you're good and it is that you have to either die by dagger or by fire and if you survive good job you get in but you're not going to survive and every single child of athena that has made it to this point chose one of the options and died. Only Annabeth, after centuries, had thought, let's bullshit them for a little bit to actually come up with a plan. And her plan is just look around the room and learn as much as you can about this specific god. And once you figure it out, uh, just destroy the temple. (laughs) Just destroy the temple. I mean, maybe it only worked this time because... She is so into architecture, or maybe it only worked this time because, um, like, the temple actually had time to degrade enough for a plan like that to work. I don't know. But, literally, that's the only place that we find, like, the corpses of her siblings is in that room. After that, she jumps through a wall, plummets down a ledge, breaks her ankle, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense depending on like the way she jumped out but you know she she didn't learn the tuck and roll maneuver i guess then after she fixes her leg she goes down a hole for a bit she comes across this crevasse with two like parallel wooden beams 
instead of potentially crossing the wooden beams, uh, sh- the the challenge here is to weave along the beams because they're like a loom. So you weave your way along, and then you burn it, and then you're literally at the room with Arachne. That that's literally all the challenge is. And there's the Athena Parthenos. Now, how the hell you were supposed to get it out? No clue. But but they were there. Yeah. It's a weirdly short challenge, but I think it's because, for the most part, the challenge was left to the last bit of the book and only when you're following Annabeth. And you only follow her for about four chapters. And there's the four chapters with her during her cycle where she's going through the challenges and then the four chapters where she's... Well, actually, it's only three chapters where she's tricking Arachne and, you know, saving her own ass. Which, fair enough. The book ends in a cliffhanger with Annabeth and Percy plummeting to Tartarus and everyone else fucking off with the statue. But with that said, now we can talk about the House of Hades. Like I said, this is the longest book of the challenge. Only ten pages longer than The Mark of Athena, but the challenge in reading this book is my previous methods for reading have pretty much gone out the door. Uh, my, my previous method uh, was I broke it up by checkpoints and I also, for the past three books at least, have been able to follow the read eight chapters a day and you'll finish it relatively fast method. And that worked pretty well uh, in, until this book. This book has a lot more chapters. It has something like 60-something chapters. It's or maybe seven. No, no, it's 60. 70s, because I took a peek at the chapters for Magnus Chase because I was trying to see, like, oh, maybe this is longer or something. That's a whole other story that we'll talk about when we when we get to Magnus Chase. Looking at those chapters was weird and makes me a little bit worried for the Magnus Chase books, but that's for technically near the end of the challenge, so we won't worry about that for now. Focusing on House of Hades, the pattern system where a specific pattern is followed for the characters that is gone um so we're pretty much following all of the characters at some point in this book and that's not the best thing but it's fine i guess it's it hurts a little bit because i i liked knowing like okay so we'll be following percy soon or we'll be following leo soon now it's it's uh free-for-all it could be leo could be Hazel, could be Annabeth, could be Percy. And I understand that in this case, it's more we're trying to figure out... Because we're trying to follow two separate stories completely now. Like, previously, you know, they would split off on their own, like, little side quests and then come back and then split off and so on and so forth. But this time, Percy and Annabeth are completely on their own quest while the rest of the crew is doing something else. They're trying to get to the doors of death. And, yeah, uh, once again, we have been presented with a character who has another fucking secret. Uh, this time, it's Hazel. Hazel's the character that has a secret within the first chapter of this book. Her secret is she has been told by Nico that when they get to the Doors of Death, she has to face down a witch. Hazel has been told... I. She might not have been told who the witch is, because she asks Hecate who the 
who the witch is and Hecate's like if I told you she would then be aware of you so I'll not and he's like okay fair enough I guess but yeah only and luckily a little bit later she does technically tell them but they're still withholding some kind of information for some reason the the explanation is that if she tells them they're going to worry they have enough on their plate kind of situation they're going to worry and then they're going to start fighting because i guess in the past couple of days since percy and annabeth got yeeted into a pit um their cohesion's gone to shit uh where i'm currently at is following leo as he hunts down some dwarves in Bologna. Uh, that, that's pretty much it. I am I am having trouble fully easing in. I know that some of my favorite stuff happens in this book. Like I do generally enjoy Percy and Annabeth's Trek Through Tartarus. And I also quite enjoy uh, Leo's journey through this book. But I do not get to... I'm, I'm not going to talk about it right now. Because I know what happens later on in this book with Leo, uh, but we shan't discuss that for now, because that is for next week's discussion. Uh, sometime during the month of June, I intend to review Jurassic Park the movie. I can't review the book yet, because I'm in the middle of this challenge, and I I don't have time. Though I will, I do intend probably the first book I'm going to read after this challenge is going to be Jurassic Park because it's it's my comfort book. It's the book I come back to uh, to relax and decompress. <laughs> and after and, and I can take as long as I want to read it, damn it. <laughs> That's what I'm looking forward to. Taking as long as I want to read it. Uh, this challenge is fun and I, I, I would love to hear if anyone is you know, following along with me, uh, probably doing a lot better than me. But yeah, I've been able to develop a bit of a strategy for this book. And that is pretty much I just have to hit my checkpoints. So I have checkpoints set at every 50 pages, um, as well as a halfway point checkpoint and a last 100, sorry, the last 100 and last 100. And it's just a way for me to visualize how much farther I have in the in the book to go. And just how bad it, it might be. <laughs> but for the most part, I'm just going to be following the 50s checkpoints. And with that, I should be able to finish the book by Thursday. Maybe Friday at the latest, if I'm pushing it uh, a little bit. It depends on how this week goes, to be honest. There's a lot of stuff up in the air for this next week. And we'll just have to see how it goes as time goes on. Regardless, uh, yeah, I, I will finish this book on time, ideally. But once we get over this hill, it should be smooth sailing to the end of the challenge, save for a couple of bumps here or there. With, for example, Sphere, which is surprisingly shorter than this book. <laughs> but I haven't read it before, but I, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be such a breath of fresh air, you know, to step out of, you know, Greek and Roman f mythology for just a book. Just who, weird glob thing, fun, and then dive back in with Trials of Apollo. Actually, I think I have a book I have to read before Trials of Apollo, but still. Because <laughs> I, I believe where I've set the first Cain Chronicles book is before Trials of Apollo. And then I think I have one 
after Trials of Apollo, and then, but after specifically uh, Sun and the Stars. Then I have one, I think, before Magnus Chase. Like, the last one, I think, is before Magnus Chase, and then Magnus Chase. Then we just wait. We wait until um, until the Chalice of the Gods comes out in September. Which, by the time I'm done reading these all these books, uh, will probably be about a week or so from the end. From the end of uh, me finishing the book. The last Magnus Chase book. It It's a long challenge. And there's going to be a whole lot of bumps and whatnot that come along to cause issues <laughs> anywho thank you guys so much for watching if you guys enjoyed this feel free to you know follow the podcast wherever you listen uh, feel free to review the podcast uh and keep keep on keep keep an eye out for like the stuff i'm doing on the youtube side of things and like comment and subscribe there it's it's an interesting time for me <laughs> and it's just gonna get more interesting sadly or excitingly, who knows? Anywho, I'll talk to you guys later. Goodbye.